On today's show, the Cleveland Cavaliers are on the brink to win or go home. We'll talk about all about Game 5. Get you ready for it on a new episode of Locked on Cavs. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Chris Manning, covering the Cavs and the NBA for places like SB Nation, Cleveland Magazine, Forbes, and more. That man over there is Evan Damerel, the founder of independent site, Right Down Euclid, which covers the entire sports scene. As always, we have Jake Stevens producing, and the music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. Remember, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Also want to remind you that the Cavs play the Knicks in Game 5 on Wednesday. That's at 7 p.m. It is do or die time. Catch every moment of the Cavs' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Cavs in the app. Evan, Cavs, Knicks, Game 5, 7 p.m., NBA TV for television, um, if you're not attending the game or whatever. We're going to start today's show, segment one, diving into what we can look for to see what the Cavs can do to maybe extend the series. Give me something you are looking at to say, okay, how can the Cavs extend the series and at least give them get, get themselves to Game 6 before we talk about, okay, and they come back from 3-1? How can they at least get to Game 6? More than anything, they can't look tentative. They can't look um, similar to how they appeared on the court in games three and four against New York. They really have to come out with that sense of urgency that they've been kind of lacking all series long against New York. Like that, the, the, the same sense of urgency that the Knicks have just been meeting them with every single game. They have to play like a team that is staring down the barrel of elimination and could very well see their season come to an end and they need to leave it all out on the floor. I know this is a bunch of cliches, but you can really tell that the Cavs just sometimes have this issue. It's a recurring theme all season long, but it's definitely been evident in this series that New York uh, kind of sucker punches them a little bit or just roughs them up a little bit to open the game. You saw in game two that Cleveland responded well to that and started to impose their own will in the Knicks and you need to kind of bottle that up somehow in essence and just apply it to whatever is working for you whether that's the practice or just in game to game scenarios and that's probably the biggest thing they have to do and then there's there's small minute stuff as well that we could really break into over the course of this episode but just in terms of the grand scope of it like they they can't be tentative they can't be playing with anxiety they can't press and just kind of like have that negative intrusive thought in the back of their mind saying like okay well if we mess up we're done for the year because you could really beat yourself before the game even gets started if you kind of just go through that vicious cycle and obsess over that idea. I think that's a good place to start. I, I think game two is clearly the only game Cleveland has taken it to New York. I, look, I don't I don't know if that was just like a one-game thing because the Knicks got game one and they didn't feel they needed to. I, I think I'm, I'm the first five minutes, I think, of this game, which is in Cleveland, 
curious to see what the crowd is going to be like, curious to see what the Cavs players look like, curious to see what the Knicks players look like. I am very curious just to see what all of that um, kind of radiates and, and what that kind of feels. My first thing is I look at the Donovan Mitchell point of this because I, I think they have to get him going. And look, the Knicks are throwing hard doubles on him. They're trapping him. Like they're they're making it hard on him. And, and guys like Deuce McBride have stepped in and done a really good job on Mitchell. This has, hasn't just been like some one person is locking him up, but they've gotten a, an army of guys in a scheme that has really frustrated Mitchell. But I think playing faster, I think getting him some more screens, I think trying to get, do what they've done with Garland and bring him off ball to get, initiate the offense. I think there's things they need to do not to give Mitchell going. Some of this is like a Mitchell stylistic. Some of this, I think, is like a way Mitchell likes to play. But I think if there's ever a time to adjust, it's when you, it's winner go home time. And they're, they're just not going to win this game. They don't have a lick of coming back if they play like he if he plays like he did the other night. Yeah, I'm. It's an interesting thought exercise, just because other than game one and then game two, where he was responsible for a lot of the playmaking responsibilities for Cleveland, Donovan Mitchell has been a little up and down, topsy turvy against the Knicks in terms of his scoring. I think. To your point, the Knicks have found ways to dial up the pressure a little bit and make him uncomfortable, whether that's just the drop coverage they're running or maybe just simply the fact that Mitchell's shots weren't falling in. Um, prior or after practice on Tuesday, uh, April 25th, Mitchell was talking about how he is a faith of the process. He isn't too rattled by the fact that his shots just aren't really falling like they were or have. And he said, I, I have faith in the fact that I can make these shots. You guys have seen it. I've seen it. I know it's possible to make it happen, but it's just maybe again, like if you come out with that edge and you're not pressing too much and you're able to find some sense of calm through just seeing the first few shots go in, um, that's kind of the right process to go about it and right. if you're Mitchell um more than anything this is this is these are the moments the Cavs traded you for for you for like you are a big time playoff performer this is quite literally the biggest stage that this Cavs team will be on in terms of the playoffs because it's winner go home at this point and you're going to have to really tap into Mitchell a little bit and maybe this is an instance where we see him be selfish offensively or just take over the scoring responsibilities or he's completely locked in. And they, a lot of it does start with Mitchell. And then if he's able to get it going and just builds that momentum and maybe New York adjusts, there's going to be a snowball effect for the rest of Cleveland's roster, especially from Darius Garland, who also needs to step up in terms of production. But I, I really think all the pressure, not all the pressure, but a lot of the pressure is going to be on Mitchell heading into this game. I think the other person that, there's pressure on is Darius Garland to kind of get things going. I, there's stuff with Evan Mobley in the series that we haven't really hit on yet. I, I want to at some point. I don't know if this is the right moment. This isn't the right moment to do it. I think like there's some really nitty gritty stuff to get into with his offense that I think is worth. Um, uh, that's not worth the whole thing here. But I think the game two Garland we saw and the get third quarter to open game the third quarter of game four are the garland you need aggressive active really do i think doing a pretty good job staying in front of brunson and that to me that goes hand in hand i think you got to trust okoro i think you got to just ride mm. that out i i've been saying this the entire series i will not be going away from i think this point but i just trust him and what he's actually going to provide you in terms of helpful basketball much more than i do jetty osmond um i think you got to just roll like if he misses two shots like let him take a third let him take a fourth like you got it like 
this this previews a future take, but like I think if you're not going to trust him to do that stuff, then you might as well just like find a way to move on from him in the summer. If you're not going to trust him now, then then what's the point here? You better go find someone you can trust. I think you got to give him the reps. Osman has not worked. I think Okoro has not worked perfectly, but it has worked better. Um, so that's where I go. I, 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 I'm Evan. The Cavs right now are five and a half point favorites in this game according which to the is, FanDuel. That it, feels which high. is surprising that, to me. That that is very in line with what the line has been for the other Cavs home games. Hmm. And of that line at this point in the series feels to me like. It's like, oh, this series has been even. Let's give the team that was the higher seed, had better numbers all year, and is the home team the bump. That that feels aggressive to me. Like I, I I don't know who I would necessarily peg as a favorite, but the Knicks have been the better team the entire series, mm-hmm. and that's not really debatable. Yeah, the Knicks have been the better team in every facet of the game. Um, and that, that line does surprise me because I believe they're one and a half or maybe two and a half point favorites in game one, Cleveland, and then New York was the it was a one and a half point favorite. Uh, in game two so like that's a i don't want to say dramatic but like that's a wider margin of favoritism from uh fanduel at the end of the day which 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 happens when you go from like being the road team to the home team like you get a bump being at home but that feels like a three and a half point bump feels like a lot that's a that's a pretty big swing just especially compared to game one um where a lot of folks myself included thought like okay the Cavs are going to show out and really just kind of Maybe set the tone early into this one because they're saying all the right things and they are a very good home team. But that that that, that point spread, at least for just like the the margin, is very surprising to me. Um, what's also surprising to me today, Chris, is how many tickets are available for sale. And if you, folks, you want to get in on the action, you should check out today's sponsor, Game Time. Chris, let them know all about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets should never be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hype for the fun you'll have. They have flash deals on last-minute tickets, easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, images of seat views. I know, for instance, not even just in my area, I'm going to be in New York in August, and I'm planning on using game time to get tickets to the Liberty Aces game in Brooklyn. Can't wait for that. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right now up to the day event. That includes game five if you're in the market for that. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you can find tickets in the same section and in a row for less, Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets you want without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Today's episode is also brought to you by Prize Picks where first-time users get up to a 100% bonus on their first purchase. To play, pick two to five players, and if they go score more or less than their entry, they get it. You, you win. There's no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NBA, NFL, and many, many more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com and to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. 
If you deposit 100, Prize Picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. Don't forget to enter that promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, we're back. Segment two here. Uh, Evan, want to thank everyone in our listenership for making Lockdown Cash your first listen every day. Every day, we'll be back after game five with a recap of a winner go home game for the Cavs. Big, big one. Also, remind you that the Cavs do play the Knicks in game five at 7 p.m. Winner go home. Catch every moment of the Cavs' hometown broadcast on the Series XM app. Search Cavs. All right, so Evan, to dive into the next part of this. I think the other thing I am curious about when we're thinking about game two or game five, excuse me. I was trying to find things that worked for the Cavs in the series, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of struggling to find things that have like overwhelmingly worked game in and game out. Like I think the guard uh. screen stuff has worked. I think there are like I think there are things that in small sample sizes have worked, but I was I couldn't find much or think of much that I was like, oh, this was like a repeated successful thing. Like Mobley's had some moments at the rim, like again, the guard on guard screening, you know, Levert when he's played well has worked, but there's nothing to me that has felt particularly like overwhelmingly positive for Cleveland. Does anything come to mind for you? Well, it's understandable, at least offensively, why things haven't felt positive. I believe of every team in the of every team in the field, Cleveland has the worst offensive rating in the playoffs currently. And it, it is tricky because if you just look at the slice of game two, there's a lot of successful stuff that worked for Cleveland, whether it was the guard on guard screening, as you had mentioned, or Karis LeVert just having it going, or more than anything, Darius Garland cooking. But J.B. Vickerstaff and the Cavs punted on that plan, relegated Isaac Okoro to the very back end of the rotation. You see Ricky Rubio minutes, Karis LeVert starts, yada, 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 so on and so forth. And if you're the Cavs, one, I'm curious what the approach is going to be heading into game five. Do you stick with Karis LeVert in the starting lineup? Because again, I, I understand the optics of starting LeVert because offensively it gives you a little bit more of an extra spark and when you're in a hostile environment like new york maybe you need a little bit of that edge just to help maybe swing things in your favor because this is the place that the Cavs have struggled with all season are now as we know are zero and four at so for me things that just kind of stood out and i can just look through the vignette of game two is donovan mitchell again stepping up and maybe new york just throwing a little bit more defensive attention at him in game two and he was bending the defense to his will and one of the best plays the Cavs had in that game was jared allen um flared down to the top of the key he was still posting up i believe they're on robinson or randall um, Mitchell kicks it down to him. Allen doesn't even try to post up uh, because New York then collapses on him. It was either RJ Barrett or somebody else went after him. But he then kicked it out to Darius Garland, who's just left wide open on the perimeter. And he was able to take advantage of just a very clean and open shot opportunity. And in Garland's case, he's, I don't want to say a front runner, but this is the case for a lot of guys that are high volume scorers at times. Like they need to see the ball go in at least once or twice. And for Garland, that was like, a moment of clarity and affirmation, especially after just a very tough uh, playoff debut in game one. So a little bit more of that, please. Um, Just maybe getting a little bit more creative with the offense. And to your point, I mean, riding the Isaac Okoro wave does make sense. I don't know if you'd let him heave up four shots or so, but like let him try to find a bit of a rhythm, find some confidence and 
at least keep New York honest on defense because the Knicks for sure are going to just wall Okoro off and say, go ahead, we dare you to shoot from the perimeter and he has to make him pay for it. And I mean, this is something we've said about Okoro all season long, but there's small stuff from game three that worked that should be transferable. I'm just still confused by the fact. I mean, I know Bakerstaff gave an answer, but it doesn't really give me much clarity, but um, of why they didn't take what worked in game two and travel with that to New York for three and four. I mean, I think, I think the answer is like they over adjusted. Like I think they really over adjusted for, for game threes and game four. And they didn't like really do anything different for game four. The the big thing about this series, Evan, and I think the, the offensive stuff I think is right. Cause like neither team has really, like the Cavs defense has held up really well. well Cleveland like, has done a very good job defensively in this series. So yeah, is New York. Is, I mean, the pro well, the problem is that like when you're if you're Cleveland you're not winning so like it doesn't matter. But I don't think either Fair. team has like actually played well. So these are both in the bottom three. Two both these teams, the Cavs and Knicks, are in the bottom three in terms of turnovers per game. The Cavs mm-hmm. are the last in that category in the playoffs. The Knicks have the second worst field goal percentage. The Cavs have the fifth worst field goal percentage. The Knicks are the worst three point shooting team. The Cavs are the fourth worst three point shooting team. The series has not been like good basketball. Like if you go and watch, like. Warriors Kings or like parts of Suns Clippers before Kawhi got hurt there was like some really really high level awesome basketball that was fluid that was modern this has not been that and I think maybe this is part of why this series feels even worse because the Cavs have just not had like any sort of offensive quality for much of the series their spurts game two was like the game where it's like oh we made shots it's funny how much better your offense looks and what the numbers say when you actually just like make some freaking shots Mm -hmm. but the Sears just has not been high quality. And I think when it gets there, it's like, okay, both teams are playing well defensively. The Knicks are really styming the Cavs more than, uh, and have made a lot of great adjustments and they're killing them on the offensive glass most every night. I think the combination of those two things, it just kind of left like a very, just like, what are poking the Cavs with a stick? Like, please do something vibe. That That is where I've gotten with this. And I think you're pretty spot on on that. I, I was doing the math as you were talking and as, as I was listening and Cleveland is holding New York to 98 points per game through the first four. Uh, New York is holding Cleveland to 94 points per game through the, through the first four games. And it, it is a four point swing. It does feel like it's that much at the end of the day. And um, it's just curious to me um, where Cleveland can find that offensive spark. I think for the Knicks, uh, RJ Barrett has emerged a little bit. I wouldn't say like he's the most reliable third option, but like you have him, you have Josh Hart, like Emmanuel quickly was feeling himself a little bit, especially in game four. Like the, the Knicks have the legs, they have the strength. And for the Cavs, they have to be a little more dynamic than they have been static at this point, just because they're so reliant on maybe just Donovan Mitchell making a couple like hero shots or reliant on Darius Garland and who really came alive in the third quarter of game four, but like more of just like finding that balance of being selfish and shooting or trying to get everybody involved. And it's hard because New York is feeling themselves a bit. They're hitting a lot of three pointers and Cleveland's counteraction or counter move is to instead attack in the paint. And the math checks out there too. Three is worth more than two. And just the Cavs need to find maybe some more ways to get more creative on offense. And that in which the issue is the Cavs kind of lack the depth and personnel to match the Knicks. So they really got to be relying on their stars for however long this series remains. That Akron agree really to, coming in handy telling you that three is bigger than two. 
Listen, man, I, uh, I, I don't remember much from college, but if basic math is what I retained. All right, uh, we're going to be segment three. We're going to talk about like who is sort of to blame for some of this. Like, I, There's a lot of finger pointing at GB Bickerstaff. I think some of it is very warranted. But there's another guy who has a longer contract extension than J.B. Bickerstaff, who has a bigger title than J.B. Bickerstaff, who doesn't have to like stand in front of people and stuff that I think is worth talking about. So we'll do that. I want to thank you again for making us your first listen every day. Every day or again, we'll be back after game five, recapping a win or go home. That's a big one. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. Well, not for the Guardians because they're not playing well right now. And there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on and sign up. Place your first bet and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. So don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on to sign up. FanDuel official partner of Major League Baseball. They have a ton of great NBA bets too, if that's your jam. The Cavs, remember, are five and a half point favorites at home for game five, if you have your eye on that. So, so Evan, here, here's just something I, I think is worth exploring and thinking about. We're likely headed towards the end of this series, the end of the Cavs season in the coming days. It's, maybe it's not Wednesday. Maybe they win, save off elimination, and they go back to New York and lose game six or something. But three one, mm-hmm. unless it's twenty sixteen, is really hard. Like even the Bucks, who like were my title pick and are heavy on us, like they're down three one to the Heat, and like you give them a thirty percent chance of winning that series. I don't know. It's really hard to come back from three one. I think what is worth exploring here is that I think where the what has gotten the Kevs here is just not all coaching. I think J I, I think JB has done a lot wrong in this series. Mm-hmm. I think it is just worth remembering that he, while I'm sure he has opinions and input on guys on the roster, he sees scouting reports, he has all these other responsibilities. Kobe Altman is also the one who like assembled this roster. He made like he he is the one who pulls the lever on the Donovan Mitchell, him in ownership. Is this your you know, Rizzo moment? No, I don't have no. What are you talking about? I'll send you the article. Go ahead. No. If you think I'm going to get into like hot takery, Evan, then you you literally don't know me. This is a very pragmatic take. What hap- What what this is is you have a G, you have a president of basketball operations who who like is not the fall guy in this situation. And this is where I really empathize with JB on a human level. He has to do more media than any player, any person in the front office. That is part of the job. That is just what you sign up for as an NBA head coach. It's never always totally fair to me that like. Well, I don't know if like you're ever would ever get a GM or a present basketball operations to like take questions all the time as much as I think there'd be some value in it or doing like regular radio hits with like Ken and Anthony or coming here, going the chase down, whatever. Like I I think like there's worth remembering that like the guy who actually assembled the roster like also has a part in what has happened here. And I like this isn't just like it like this is never just like one thing. This isn't just like JB is messed up. This isn't just the players didn't play well enough. This is, they also maybe didn't assemble the best possible roster, didn't go aggressively enough with the trade deadline. Maybe like they they didn't do enough to like keep Ocha, like keep a, another wing, or maybe they shouldn't have traded for Carol Silver. Like there are other things than just like, oh, Bickerstaff got out coached or Donovan Mitchell didn't play well in this series. That is all. I just think that is worth remembering 
as we get to the end of the season that this isn't just like what has happened isn't just like one specific thing that causes this. And Kobe like has a, a part in that. I agree with you. I think the quote that Kobe Altman said that there was nobody at the deadline that moved the needle for them um, may come back to bite the Cavs, especially just watching how limited depth-wise they are, because other than the core four, Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro, like you don't really have much going for you for Cleveland in terms of rotations, depth, things like that. And I agree, JB Pickerstaff made some questionable decisions, whether it was starting LeVert, uh, defending Brunson with Osman or Garland for possessions, uh, relegating Okoro to the back end of the rotation, giving Ricky Rubio these weird like six minute bursts. And it's just, you feel like the Cavs are experimenting a little bit still. Like they're trying to like maybe figure out their game plan on the fly at times. And I'm not going to say they didn't prepare for this series. Um, I'm not going to say they didn't make adjustments, but it's just the Cavs are lacking depth. And the fact that they remained static instead of dynamic at the deadline could come back to bite them in a really major way. And I know folks will point out to Josh Hart saying like, Oh, the Cavs could have gotten him and kind of prevented him from being a Cavs killer. And I know Cam Reddish was one of the players that was doing that deal, but the big thing was the fact that New York gave up a first-round pick to acquire Josh Hart, and the Cavs just didn't have that ammunition in their back of their pocket. But again, the, the Cavs were always going to be asset-starved after acquiring Donovan Mitchell. Um, to your point, maybe Ochaibot. I don't know if Ochaibaji would have been a difference maker on this team just because He's a rookie, and there's already guys but that are pretty you, much. But it gives I know. You, but it's about for the future as well, because like now you're I agree. just staring down stuff. It like it just it just is. Like this this is just the reality of like when you make a trade like that, which you do ten times out of ten. Yeah, you have things you have to figure out, and like people can like you can defend your favorite team. The organization can get like mad about things. Like whatever, that's fine. Like when things don't work, like there's causes for it, and like there's just things that like. Yeah, they don't have first round pick. Okay, like, but how did you get to me? It's not, it's, it is much more interesting and like, I think reasonable to be like, okay, here's why they don't have these first round picks and unpack that more than like, oh, they don't have first round picks. Cause I, I still yeah. maintain that like the original sin in all of this is not like giving up what they gave up for Mitchell. It's like, I think you probably overpaid for Karis Levert. You could have gotten Karis Levert for like seconds and figure that out. But then you don't have that other first and that cost you a Baji which could have been another asset you could have flipped for Royce O'Neal or like gotten in like you, you put yourself down a path there that I think mm-hmm. the Mitchell trade then just kind of increasingly emphasize. I just, I think that to me is really the original, the original sin was that trade was like getting, it was getting ahead of themselves a little bit. That is really where I go back to. It's like, that was the, the mistake in all this by Altman in the front office. So my counterpoint to that is um, there is also a reality where the Cavs don't acquire Donovan Mitchell. They still have Larry Marketing, Colin Sexton, and Ochai Abaji, along with Karis LeVert on their roster. Yeah, Maybe they, we feel they, differently about this team. I, I understand that. I understand that. But I'm just saying in the heat of the moment, the Cavs needed some secondary shot creation to mitigate the pressure on Darius Garland. And it didn't work because LeVert was never healthy for the Cavs. And the Cavs never really get to look at like what it looked like with LeVert in the starting lineup until the very last game of the season, which is the play-in loss of the Hawks. So it's tricky. It's tough. And now that they are asset-starved, I think they can trade their 2024 first-rounder. But... It's still not enough to really do things. And now you have to have that uncomfortable conversation of, okay, uh, 
maybe JB Bickerstaff's on a bit of a shorter leash next year. And I know like they could be staring down the reality of Luke Walton if um, Bickerstaff doesn't work out. But there's also the outside hire too. Like I think of the Hawks who hired Quinn Snyder's like in the middle of the season and just figured him out on the fly. Like it's not a perfect thing, but like the coaching can be addressed one way or another. But the uncomfortable conversation is, okay, we have Donovan Mitchell who is in his prime and has, I believe, two years left on his contract. You have Darius Garland, who just started his uh, rookie who's, maximum, who's, kicks in next maximum year. extension, who kicks in next year. Evan Mobley's coming down the pipeline, too, and we need to maximize maybe the wiggle room we have financially while he's still on his rookie scale contract. Maybe this is the uncomfortable conversation where like, you knock on a team like Dallas's door and somehow get some assets from the Mavericks for Jared Allen and then refocus those assets to something else. And like you go to Brooklyn and say, hey, like Royce O'Neal or um, Joe Harris or even um, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, like the, the, the Brooklyn has a gut glut of wings and a lot of them are going to be with the Nets next season. Um, I know like Mikhail Bridges is like their star quote unquote, and like the Cavs aren't going to be able to acquire him. But like, this is when you have the uncomfortable conversation of like, yeah, we've built something really, really nice here. And we have a lot of guys that are fun and they play well together. But when you look at the long-term vision, if Evan Mobley's shot doesn't develop, uh, Jared Allen's never going to become a plus-plus shooter. Like You need to find shooting next to him at the four just to create more spacing in the lineups to begin with, but it's just so hard to figure out what the next steps are because the Cavs cashed in all their assets to get Donovan Mitchell and sure in the moment like when you look at just the trades every team made over the summer like the Cavs made the best one and the Cavs have set themselves up pretty nicely just in terms of just top end talent between uh, just Garland Mitchell and Mobley alone Allen too like he's still on this roster so he of course gets mentioned but I just I, I agree with your take. Like, I think JB did a lot of confusing things, but a lot of this does go on the fact that, like, hey, the Cavs had a pretty clear need on the perimeter. They had a pretty, pretty clear need for perimeter shooting. I think just Donovan Mitchell going Super Saiyan to start the season and just consistently running hot has been really beneficial for the Cavs. And I'm sure, like, I know the mantra was it's not championship or bust this season, and they are focusing on what is next and down the line. But to your point, Trading that first and Ricky Rubio for Karis Levert could have been a misstep because it sacrificed an asset you could have used later. Like, there's a lot of just ways you can go about this, but if you're the Cavs, like, you have to course correct this summer and address a lot of these needs so that you're not staring down the barrel of the fact that you have six viable guys in your rotation. And then it's a sprinkling of Jetty Osmond, Danny Green, who's on the last legs of his career, Jetty or Ricky Rubio, who's not 100%. And then like Dean Wade, who's been banished to the shadow realm and Lamar Stevens, who may not sniff the court for the entire postseason. Worth noting on Donovan Mitchell. He has next year. And he has a player option for 25-26. You're pro- you are proving this year and next year are about proving to Donovan Mitchell that he wants to like sign up this for the long term. Because I would bet you he's opting out of that contract in 26. It's a t- yeah, it's a two-way street. Like Mitchell, I think has more than done enough up to this point. It's disappointing to see his defensive upside uh kind of vanish in this postseason run, especially because he's just been playing so well defensively during the regular season, but yeah, the Cavs need to make some moves. Like they they made their big boy move. Like they are saying, "Hey, we're ready to become a legitimate team in the Eastern Conference behind our supernova talent of young players just across the board and you need to make some legitimate upgrades in order to prove to Mitchell like hey this is worth your while 
So you don't trade all these assets for Mitchell. And then, I mean, you're still in a good spot with like Garland and Mobley and Allen, of course, but like, it's certainly not the same and your assets starved. And it would really suck to like watch him just like walk away from Cleveland and then go to the Knicks or something like that. Cause like, that seems like a viable path. And I'm sure if the Cavs struggle next year, flame out, like those vultures will be circling. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to that uh, way in the future. Want to thank remind remind you again that the Cavs play game five, Wednesday, 7 p.m. You can catch every moment of the Cavs' hometown broadcast on SiriusXM on the XXSXM app. I will forget how to say that someday. Search Cavs. It is a mouthful. Thanks again for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Every dares. We'll be back after game five with a recap of, again, what is a win or go home game for the Cavs. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Demerol. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for productions. Enjoy the hoops. The hoops. Hopefully they're fun.